Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Oh, hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Laura Chestikoff from Firebird Summit. What's up, everybody? I'm Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. It is always a pleasure, Laura, to be in the house with you. Always with you, too, my friend. I hope you had a wonderful vacation. I did, I did, and uh, like most vacations, it was all too short. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. It wouldn't be vacation if it wasn't too short. <laughs> So, well, welcome back. Glad to get back at it. So I understand you have a topic for us today. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. And so all the stuff that's going on in the news, right, regardless of where you land in the world of politics, leadership, and all these other things, uh, one thing that's been coming floating to the top of mind as I work with clients, uh, individual and uh, corporate training clients, and it's this idea of performative allyship. And how it's been coming up is, you know, as, as we year after year over year, we get ourselves removed from all the stuff that happened in 2020, uh, the pandemic, and this idea that people are getting back to air quotes, business as usual. Um, and now it's like, okay, where are their statements of, you know, allyship, advocacy, all these, you know, because again, most organizations got real cute and fancy. Uh, with their words on their websites and started uh, putting people of color on their websites, didn't even know they had people of color that were employed for them, had women in, in, on their websites, and you know there are women in leadership at their organization. Um, so all this amazing stuff happened, but it seems like the message is getting uh, further and further away uh, from action, and, and, and I'm seeing it as performative. And so just talking through, you know, kind of what you're seeing, kind of how you feel about, you know, I mean, again, Roe versus Wade, like all this stuff is popping up in the news. And, and again, on the surface, everybody's doing the dance. Like, yes, we support. Uh, and then behind the scenes, they get real silent real quick. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my topic for today. OK, well, I think that's actually taps into a lot of really big stuff. So um, I think so it's funny you, were, you mentioned that I was actually just reading an article in the Atlantic like 10 minutes ago about how, you know, the idea of hybrid work is is basically dead. Everybody's going to go back to the damn office, right? Like, and it's funny because I, I have been working remotely for almost 15 years. So for me and in like my industry in particular, like working from home has been a thing for ages. I mean, my, you know, the company I work for these days doesn't even actually have offices in the United States, like we don't actually have an office space anywhere. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things that I look at and I watch and I, I, it was getting me thinking kind of to your point, right. That there's a lot of stuff that, that, you know, in the chaos of, of the pandemic, people made a lot of noise about changing, but then we get back to kind of this, all right, so things are kind of getting back to normal. So we can all kind of like settle back into the most comfortable spot for us. And so I don't know that that I would consider that as much kind of to your point, like a performative issue and, and definitely not an allied issue. Um, 
but I think it's I think it's maybe part of a broader trend, right? Is that there's a certain kind of gravity well I think that a lot of us will fall back into just out of comfort or habit or you know whatever what, whatever it is. And and some of it I think at an organizational level is really institutional, right? I mean, you know, it's funny. I always find it hilarious when, um, especially conservatives, get really pissed at the at the phrase institutional racism. When the reality is, our institutions are built to support a structure, right? Our legal system having a racial bias is 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 only one manifestation of that, right? Companies, like you know, I was working for a company not you know at the beginning of this year that was you know during the pandemic tried to go completely virtual. But the moment it was done, like you had to be back in the office. And even for people like me who are on the other side of the country, you know, they would, I kind of got like an official exemption that I didn't have to be in the office. But the reality is decisions are made in the office. And if you're going to be in a leadership role, that's where it happens. So I think this is maybe to me part of what the real issue is. It's that we pretend we're going to change something. We pretend we're going to do something different. But at the end of the day, our organizational DNA has been organized in a specific way. And when it comes, when, you know, when there isn't, you know, so much diametrically opposed force pushing against that, things kind of settle back into their most naturally comfortable state. And oftentimes that has to do with leadership, but it also has to do with, you know, systems and tools and process. I mean, yeah, I remember about six months ago, I was interviewing candidates for a role to work underneath me. And as it happened, all the three candidates I sent to my boss to interview were all women. Now, mind you, I was the only woman on the leadership team. So, so as it was, this was an ongoing conversation that, you know, they kept hiring guys and they just kept hiring guys. And I kept pointing out guys, like I shouldn't be the only estrogen here. This is not cool. But when it came down to it, you know, the, my gravity well in that conversation was definitely, you know, had, had an inclination towards a female bias for my own mule-headed reasons. Um, but it was noticed, right? When I sent those candidates on to my male boss to have him talk to him, he's like, wow, you sent me three women. I'm like, what the hell did you think I was going to do? And I think that's kind of what is maybe almost more visible now on a lot of levels, right? To your point, right? About, about the allies, about are, are we really, you know, manifesting the diversity we've given voice to and, and all kinds of things. Like, I think the pandemic sort of shook up business as usual enough that we could sound really good about all the things we were going to change and all the things we wanted to do better. But as things kind of trickle back down, it's like, you know, it's, it, you know, what it actually feels to me like it feels like New Year's resolutions and we're coming in on like February 2nd now. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that gym membership maybe wasn't such a good idea. You, you hit it. And I think some of the language I've been hearing around what you just described is kind of this, uh, the, the virtue signaling, right? Where, where people are getting called out now and like, hey, where are your receipts? Uh, because your statements appeared after you were called out to your point, like, hey, um, you said you wanted diversity statements are really cute. Uh, you got your inclusion statements are really are really nice, but then it's like okay, oh y'all only did that because everyone was doing it right. It's the New Year's resolution stuff, and so now that the the kind of the eyeballs or the optics are are kind of settling in and the dust is settling, it's like okay, let's go back to what we believe we were because that's easiest for us because what we really signed ourselves up for, what we put out there. Is actually going to take longer and it's actually ooh, going to take some effort 
And I think what really is behind that effort is people's inexperience with that space of change, right? Operationally, we could change. We know the business, you know, we see trends in business, but from the human side of things and what this really means to actually, okay, craft and hone in on, okay, what are the benefits of change towards, I mean, in particular, something like hybrid. I recall the com first company I worked for transitioned out the military. Like you said, hybrid has been a thing for, for decades now. And the company I worked for, we got two hybrid days a week. And the, the statistics and the reports are already out that they're more often than not employees when they were home, working from home, they actually worked longer and actually were more productive yeah. because they didn't want to lose the benefit of working from home. And so now that you had people- And there's oftentimes there's fewer distractions. Like it's, a, there's a lot, you know, there's, you, you don't have people like doing drive-bys your desk, exactly. trying to, you know, kind of just divert you. So yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really important, important point too, right? Is that there, there are places where it's kind of well enough established that, you know, post pandemic, it's not going to change, right? Like I said, my, my company these days, we don't even have actual offices. Like everybody works from home. That's just the way it is. And that's a, that's a fundamental tenet of the business, but places that only kind of were, were reacting to the pandemic. I think those are going to be the ones that have the hardest time, especially, especially if it's at a leadership level. Again, you know, when you have leaders who, and there was a lot of there were a lot of really great articles on this over the past six months or so where you know leaders are you know eager to get back to the office. It's like, well, why is that? Like I get it. I totally absolutely get it because if you the higher up the food chain you get, the more your job is about influence. It's not about executing an actual, you know, physical deliver deliverable that you're trying to get done. It's about influence and it's about relationships. And especially for people who, you know, are not what you would call digital natives, like their principal form of of forming and establishing those relationships to be able to have, you know, the kind of measured influence they're looking to be able to execute in their organization, they rely on face-to-face -face time for that. And even those of us who, you know, are fairly native digitally, like there's still no real trade-off, right? I mean, we saw it when we were going through coaching training, we, we were on calls every single week between it, but it was being in the room together for those three days, you know, at, at those different intervals during training that really, really like helped with, with the bonding and, and the relationship development and things like that. And so you can't ever like completely discount that. But I think the reality is there are so many places that are going to just really struggle because all of the, the sort of elasticity out of their organization has kind of been stretched to its limit mm -hmm. with, with, you know, over the past couple of years. And as they kind of try to get back to, you know, quote unquote normal, they're, they're just going to automatically gravitate back towards what's the, the safest, the easiest, the most comfortable, you know, the places that don't even have like good video conferencing, or they don't have good security policies for employees to work from home or, or worse yet companies that historically didn't, you know, necessarily give their employees a laptop, right? They only had a desktop machine and then they were screwed when it was time to work from home. I mean, all of those are like really kind of institutionalized functions within an organization that, you know, are, are not trivial to change. Yeah. And I, I think some, something key there is, is like you said, it's, it's learning how to deal in the world of and and that's something we we've talked about before it's in versus going back to the it's a this or a that um and in particular i, I never forget um a couple a couple friends and, and family members 
who their offices, the entities, government entities and different things like that were like mandatory. Everybody come back to the office like on this date. And then a couple of weeks later, everybody in senior leadership got COVID. And so they're like, yeah. ah, let's go back to this flex schedule um, immediately. Um, and, and so I think understanding, particularly at the leader level, is saying, hey, yes, we, we may have not had the, the elasticity of it before in the structure, but now, okay, what does a yes and world look like? Because we had to over the last several years. So my thing is for those companies who you kind of held your breath waiting for it to be over, whether it was around technology, around flex work, around doing diversity in meaningful ways, um, it, it really sp speaks to, okay, there's an expectation at the employee level, the folks doing the work and even at the frontline leader level. But like you said, at the senior leader level, okay, you're having expectations that we flex. What does flexing look like at that senior level and, and getting understanding, all right, is this a policy procedure or your preference? And that really become, all right, what's the distinction here? Is like, you have a preference of us coming back into the office, but is that realistic based on the fact that you got COVID numbers going up in some areas of the country again? Yeah. And so what is this, like this reality still exists? And oh, by the way, this tells me that as a leader, and I tell you, and I love this, uh, did this a psychological safety um, course for, for a client. And one of the things that came up that was super important around creating psychological safety in this new world is engineering opportunities to connect. And I think this new digital world, how me and you, right? Since we've been in that one weekend of coach training, me and you have never been in a space together. And so now engineering these opportunities to do this podcast, to do these video calls. And I think this level of effort and intentionality of us checking in weekly, like, hey, are we on? What's going on? You good? All right, have fun. Come back. See you next week, right? And I think just that that level of effort in, in communication is not something that was taught before. And so now leaning into leveling up on your ability to connect, to communicate, and engineer opportunities um, to move us forward is kind of, I believe, a pillar of the of the future of, of work and engagement. Oh, I agree. And I would say that, that, you know, you and I have the advantage and that we're both self-employed, right? Like, so we can both say like, Hey, you know what, this is a priority for me and I will and continue to organize, you know, my life in a way that supports that, you know, you have some parts of your business that are in person when they can be, but you have the ability and the flexibility to go back and forth, you know? And so it's, that's something that's very deliberate. And that I think is, it's a lot easier to change it when it's just your own patterns you're trying to change rather than an organization that's got, you know, I think one of the things that I always, I always look at that makes me groan and roll my eyes a lot is when you start looking at, you know, basic security policies, it's like, okay, well, none of your security policies work for somebody who's going to work from home. None of your security policies work for someone that, you know what, they're going to do work on their damn phone. Just get over it, figure it, figure out what you need to do, like, and, and lock down what you can. But really the idea that your employees are not going to use, you know, Slack on their phone, or they're not going to, you want you want them to be accessible for their email, but then you're not going to make it viable for them to do it. like that doesn't even make sense in like the modern way at all but a lot of companies really really struggle with that because they don't they just get they turn into deers and deer in the headlights right and they kind of panic and like well but what about this and what about this and they get so caught up in the well what about what about what about and what about this and and you know these kind of like horror story edge case scenarios it's like okay look 
You can spend your whole life trying to plan for the 2% or you just move on and, and make sure the 98% can keep, can keep trucking. And I think that's, that's really where some of this gets bogged down a lot. And I think a lot of it's very unnecessary. I will say though, there is one other factor that I think is, is also contributing to what you're saying in terms of, you know, as you, as you said, right, people who were during the pandemic were very like out in front about their diversity and how you know committed they were to being an ally and, and all this kind of stuff and how they're starting to back off right now. And I think that's the economy, right? So I think the other big thing was is that during the pandemic, if you had a real especially specialized workers, it was a buyer's market. I know people who changed jobs like three times during the pandemic because they were minding their own business and they got an amazing job offer. And then you know now I had, I had someone I used to work with who took an amazing job at one of the crypto companies and then got dropped like a hot potato less than two months after he took the job because crypto just went belly up and they're just laying people off like crazy. Um, and I think that is also going to be part of the problem, right? As we switch from an employee's perspective from a buyer's market to a seller's market, the, the amount that companies feel they really need to put themselves out there is going to start shrinking back. And I think that is always unfortunate um, because as long as they feel like they have, you know, they're holding all the cards, why the hell, you know, how much do they really need to bother? And I think that is really probably one of the things that'll be the most interesting to watch um, because the ones who, who continue to try to put their money where their mouth is are making an effort to try to make sure they're engaging and, and soliciting the right types of employees that both to bring them to the company and to keep them at the company. Um, I think the, the ones who see this as the, oh, well, shit, recruiting is not going to be a problem anymore. So why the hell do I need to bother? Yeah, that's, those are the ones that you probably want to be careful of. Yeah. And, it, and I think it, it goes back to, you know, something we've talked about earlier is, and it speaks to the company having an ego, um, good, bad, and different. And the ones who say, you know, you know what, we really are taking these steps and you're going to say, hey, our, our brand is still our brand, but we want it to mean something in this way. And those that create an intention around it, right? Those that say, okay, it really is about our people and we're going to co-create what this future looks like for us. There's the, they're the ones that get it from a relational standpoint. And those, like you said, the other ones that are just like, eh, we'll wait you out. Um, and, and or we'll just keep doing it because the newest thing will take attention away from what we're continuing to do. Reason why certain industries um, took to it faster than others. Um, and some just kind of stayed put um, in banking industry being one of them. Like, eh, all right, you, you'll still need money. Um, so, well, and so I think this. So I think that's actually another thing too, right? I think there are, there are definitely industries where we've seen um, such widespread disruptions. Right? I think supply chain is obviously a really good example, right? Where even even if the hiring market changes to be in their favor, they still have some really big systemic issues that they're struggling with. And so any company, you know, so again, I think there are so many variables that can go into it, but I think that, I think that you're also onto something when you say it's like, like, what's the hot topic? Like what's, you know, I, I, I remember, I remember had a, back when I was still living in Austin, I had, I had a date with a guy uh, back when I was single who uh, he was, he had been in the military uh, and he was African-American and he 
was he hated Colin Kaepernick. He hated him. And he went on, and I am not going to tell a black man living in Texas that his, his experience, I'm not going to argue with him on his experience of race, but he made a point that it was, but he, but he said he felt like, you know, Colin Kaepernick was all about himself and everything else. And that, that it was just like the topic du jour. Like that was, it, it was the topic du jour. And I asked him, I said, so do you really believe that all of the chaos that erupted around Colin Kaepernick did not raise awareness of police violence against the African-American community outside of the African-American community? Um, and he goes, no, not at all. And I'm like, well, okay, coming from a white liberal community, I got to say, I actually think it did raise a lot of awareness because I don't think this was something that, you know, my friends and people that are very political necessarily had front of mind before he started trying to make a point. And so he looked at me like I was crazy. And then that was our last date. But but like it was, but it was just funny because he really felt like it was just like the issue du jour and like people would just move on to something else and like, you know, whatever. And it was, it was a weird moment for me because first of all, I didn't expect him to have that position. But but even beyond that, the idea that he really um was very angry about the idea that someone was exploiting a legitimate issue, but turning it into just like today's, you know, headline hot button um, was, I don't think he was wrong about that part. Um, I, I, I think that it was, but I think that it was um, still just because that's the case doesn't mean I don't think it's still worthwhile, right? Because I think you can, you can have people who are like, you know, they read this week's, you know, they read a blog article on, on Harvard Business Review this week. And so now all of a sudden this is their hot topic for the next couple of weeks. And that's always going to happen to some extent. And yes, it's not awesome when they get super pumped up about this. And then two weeks later, they read another article and they drop this to go get super pumped up about something else. But the truth is, it's, I think it's still better than just sticking your head in the sand and playing ostrich and not paying attention to any of it. Yeah. yeah, being frenetic, I don't think is necessarily getting get any of those topics, move the needle on any of those topics. But I think it's still it's still better to start building awareness over time. And I think that's just one of the ways that you have to assume it's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I think really that this topic and, and the reason why, you know, I wanted us to talk, talk it through and, and really share is because this idea of what me and you are doing, right, modeling the calling people into these conversations versus calling people out. Like, can we seek to understand why these things are for certain communities? And I think that's the trouble that comes from, you know, the, the song and dance of it all is, okay, is this really just for the smoke and mirrors or, you know, again, the pop, the hot topics of the week. And again, guy coming from an HR background, golly, the, the hot topic of the week is a moving target. Um, and it's based on performance. It's based on employee engagement and different things like that. And I think, it's you know, based it, on the most. It's based on the latest sexual harassment lawsuit exactly, coming across right? your desk. And, and, or, exactly. or the or the last, uh, you know, in, employee satisfaction survey, right? They, they they come through, and you know, everybody has a knee jerk reaction to number fifty three, and we develop entire training programs around number fifty three, and forget that there were two hundred questions on the on the daggone survey, and, and so yeah. it, it becomes this this song and dance that we become reactive to. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it ends up having kind of reaction fatigue, if you will. Um, and, and so what ends up happening is people just like they, they disengage altogether because they're like, OK, 
I reacted the first several times that, that you said something was important, but after a while, like, okay, all right, is this really important this time? Or what's the thing? And I think that's the difference between this, this society of, you know, attention grabbing versus, okay, what are the topics that are really going to impact our communities? Um, and, and really, I think there stands from having those kind of singular, uh, comprehensive and coherent voices um, that we, we benefited from as, as we were growing up, um, where those voices could be trusted um, to an extent that they didn't have an overarching agenda that they were kind of trying to point us in a direction of. And I think that's the other part of this performative part of it is what gets people out of the game is they're just like, oh my God, here we go. It is another one of those things and people start beating a drum, but there are some underlying things that people are really truly being impacted. But how do you sift through the noise of it all um, is where I, I really, really stand to, to venture out with, with leaders in, in these political spaces, in these academic spaces and, and within organizations. How do we feel? Well, and so I think, and I think that's, that ultimately becomes the question. I think that's the question that each of us has to answer for ourselves, right? Because look, if you want to get worked up about issues, you can go from now until the day you die, because there are issues everywhere you turn around and, and plenty of them are worth committed effort. They're worth caring about. They're worth devoting time and energy towards, but you only have 24 hours of any given day. Right. And you have a finite amount of time, a finite amount of energy and a finite amount that you have to be able to, to influence the things in your sphere of influence. So I think the real priority becomes what is it that I, Laura, care about? What is it that Lawrence cares about? And the, the list of like the big list of things I care about might be as long as my arm, but the list of things that I prioritize and that I make sure that I are, are guiding principles when I make decisions. They are fundamental cornerstones to the relationships I have in my life. They're part of how I show up in business. They're part of you know, like an ongoing, you know, the mortar in the bricks of my life can only be a handful of items because if it's more than that, my focus is too dispersed, it's too scattered, it's not concentrated enough to actually feel like I'm making any kind of impact. And so I think that becomes the really, really important part. And that I think is so hard to get crystallized and clear at an organization level, because that tends to be very, very personal. And it tends to be about your experience as, you know, just, just how you have come up in the world and what you've experienced. And I think that's where companies, I think, have maybe overreached in terms of, oh, we're going to be all things to all people, or we're going to like try to, you know, but it's like, okay, let's, let's take it back to something that's actually tactical enough that it can be something that shows up in how we engage, how we hire, how we recruit, how we promote, how we, you know, help build up our employees and how we represent ourselves in our communities. Because if you're just like trying to be, you know, all things to all people, you're, you're going to run out of steam before you get anywhere. Yeah. And it, man, you bring up a really amazing point because, you know, as I was talking to, you know, one of my leader clients today who is in charge of kind of internal kind of diversity initiative as, as his full-time job and not in one of those DEI roles. Um, it was really, you know, we kind of landed at this place where he was figuring out that, okay, I need to figure out what makes sense to the organization now. And, and again, and begin to build framework and actionable things based on where we are now, and then create a growth strategy from that point. And I think that's where a lot of this, when it came onto the scene, a lot of people were like, hey, let's do it all. 
but then realized quickly we don't have the capacity for that. Um, and nor do we have people in position that could support that and that's not sustainable. And because it wasn't sustainable, it just fell off. And, and so, and nobody picked it up. And I think now creating a strategy based on where you are and based on where you're desiring to go and really truly putting some things in place, you could begin to close the gap on, on what this looks like. And I think it goes to that thing we, you know, we always like training people how to be with you. Right. And it's, it's that, but it has to be communicated where you are and then where you want to go and then allow people the autonomy and the expertise to help you get there. But I think that is a level of openness and authenticity that, again, is going to require organizations to lean in to something that they haven't been good at um, previously. And I think this is where we as coaching, like um, never a shameless plug to add coaching um, to a conversation. But it's really helping bringing in coaches to help with teams, to help with groups, to help with leaders to say, OK, what do you want to communicate? And then what does it sound like? And, and then what does it look like? And then help coaches help, you know, these people like leaders synthesize like what are what are what makes sense as a first next step? And I think moving forward and really rounding out these things in very beneficial ways, it's it speaking to a level of empowerment of not only the leaders at every level, but teaching people how to take ownership and being, being accountable of how they show up to these spaces and not just hit the default button on, well, you're my manager. You should know what to do. That is one of the biggest farces um, I have ran into since transitioning out of the military. Even in the military, we got all this leader training. Um, and it was probably only 10% of us that are actually good at it. Um, and I, I would like to say I'm one of the 10%. Um, but I think, you know, you know, and again, in life, even me and us in coaching, like, this is an active practice every single day. And if you're not willing to sign yourself up to just practice this thing, then, then you, you, you can hit the easy button. You can end up falling back into some old habits um, that you've seen success, you've been successful. And I think that's the other part of it too, is that what people and what organizations are falling back into, they're like, well, it's not all bad. <laughs> That reminds me of Marshall Goldsmith's book, you know, what got you here won't get you there. You know, it's like, okay, just, and, and I think that's, that's always what I come back to is, okay. So yeah, it used to work. It worked. It got, it got me to here, got me to here, but now I'm here and I want to go there. Like there's, I think there's a very, again, back to that, what's comfortable and what feels safe and what feels, you know, familiar. It's always easier to go back to a longstanding habit that you know was successful or that know, know that you know, you know, helped you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. But it's, it's not a safe assumption that it's going to help you with where you want to go next. And that's a really hard thing, I think, for a lot of people to get there head around. Um, and a lot of times I don't think people are, you know, as aware of it as, as they need to be out of the gate. Yeah, no. And I think, I think the, that awareness part is key, right? Because you start talking through, you know, awareness is, is, has become one of those, the sexy terms that most organizations like you need to be aware and awareness is, is key, but then it goes to the self-management part of it. And even at a, as an organizational level, what are we managing around Key, even our actions about how we're showing up in these spaces um, and for our people, right? And again, asking, requesting, okay, people, you sign yourselves up for things and then manage, helping us learn through these things. And one, one in particular group I was supporting and it was almost like the leaders were getting shell-shocked. They wanted to lean in, but it was like almost every time that they leaned in, 
they were kidding back at them. You're wrong. That that was stupid. Why'd you do it like that? It's just like, will we do that to a kid who's trying to figure it out? Like, and I say they, and for a lot of lot, for most part, a lot of these senior leaders and organizations, they're like little kids who didn't know they're doing stuff for the first time. And so if you're gonna smack my hand every time I do something while I'm trying and like, like, but you you don't get an attaboy and a girl every time you you try something, just keep at it, right? Like keep practicing. Yeah. Um, and but communicate that level of effort, communicate those things. And and I think that's what it was. It was just like everybody wanted their we we always joked about the younger generation being the uh, everybody gets a trophy generation. I think senior leaders and everybody else they turned into that. Everybody like just get like I should get a ribbon too. Oh, that's what <laughs> happened. Everybody was so busy giving all their kids trophies, they decided they needed to do it for themselves. Exactly. So yeah, so it was like gold star for me um, because I put it on the website. Uh, and and I think now that people are action asking for dashboards, asking for okay, show show me your receipts that they're running into the, they're having these internal conflicts of, well, I mean, we tried it and it didn't really work for us. Like, stop backpedaling. Um, just really be honest with where you are and how you're going to move forward. And so I think this still is a work to be done, um, but in context and with perspective. And I think that's the honest conversation that needs to happen. Like, okay, what's the context of why it's coming up, how it's coming up and what's it mean for us? I think another related part to that, right, because you, you can't move on until you define what it is you care about. Um, also, the level of, of energy you're going to put behind it, right? This is one of those, like, it's so frustrating when I see organizations take on these, like, big, like, big change efforts and don't have any senior level involvement or sponsorship. And, like, it's like, okay, well, you want to, like, change the direction that the ship is moving and you don't have the captain on board you're not actually gonna get everybody to buy that that's something that's really important if if leadership is just completely you know missing out of this conversation um and i think the thing that that is meaningful though and i think it's to your point right it's why conversations have to keep happening is you know you brought up you brought up the dobbs verdict in the Supreme Court. At the end of the day, the biggest risk about Dobbs is that it laid the groundwork to unravel pretty much everything else <laughs> that progressives have cared about since the 60s, actually since the 40s, because a lot of it was, you know, I mean, they're going after FDR, they're going after the EPA, they're going after all kinds of stuff. And so I think this is another thing that we're in a political environment that is, you know, as much as a lot of us have uh, felt unsafe during Trump's four years, the Supreme Court's going to make damn sure that, that that whole line of reasoning and behavior is, is codified. And as they start peeling back protections and places where people were starting to feel safe, it's going to create a, a lack of sense of safety where we thought we had kind of put an issue to bed for the most part, at least legally, right? Never mind the other things, but at least legally. And so you know, gay couples who, you know, finally were feeling better about the fact that they were at less risk of, you know, losing their jobs for being gay, right? Like what happened, like there are so many places where like that sense of psychological safety is going to be threatened as this particular Supreme Court moves through. Companies do have a really good opportunity to try to be supportive and to try to show up. And, and I don't think it's unreasonable to say, look, Obviously, we don't get everything right, but this is, you know, we'd want you to know that this is important. There were a lot of really great um, 
uh, memes online and my company sent out an email as well, you know, after the Dobbs verdict saying, you know what, if you live in a state and somebody in your family and on your benefits needs, needs medical care and you need to get to another state, contact us and we will help get, you know, get you to a state where you can get the care that you need. Um, and that kind of stuff I think is, um, it's unfortunate that we have to handle it that way right now. But I think it's a good opportunity for, for companies to actually start maybe putting their money where their mouth is. Um, and that might be the, that might be a more grassroots way of them, you know, stepping back in instead of, you know, just putting up look, happy looking pictures on their website and then dropping the ball. There it is. And I, and I think, I think that's, that's the keys to it right there, right? Is, is, and I think grassroots is the best word to, to, to think about this. And particularly again, do it where you are, right? Make, be, be the change, right? And operationalize all those anecdotes and quotes um, that, that we used to put inside of PowerPoint presentations, but being the change you wanna see and starting at an organization level by actually, okay, putting some weight behind and some effort behind the things that are important, not only to you, but in, to important to your employee population. Um, but that insinuates you leaning in to open yourself up for that dialogue, for those conversations so that you can hear it. Um, and again, not saying that you're actioning on everything, but at least you're taking a stance on, on things and how you support your communities of, of practice and employees. And so I think, I think again, putting some action behind, you know, the, the words allyship, advocacy, and all the rest of these things in meaningful ways is, is the path forward. Um, and I think, again, you go back to MLK, you go back to Gandhi, you go back to any of them, they, they, they put their effort and they put their things behind things that they truly believed in from a communal standpoint. And then they, with, with their, with their lives, they leaned in on these yep. things. So. Yep. And I think that's, that's ultimately gets us back to kind of where we started, right? Which is you have to decide what's really important to you because you can't, you can't try to solve everything. If you try to boil the ocean, you're just going to run out of steam before you make any progress anywhere. It's honestly, it's one of, one of the things I love about watching, you know, Stacey Abrams just continue to push and continue to push and continue to push. She, she doesn't back off of her point and she doesn't, she recognizes there's bigger sets of injustices that, you know, need to be addressed, but she's trying to stay focused enough that she can actually move the needle. And I think that becomes, maybe that's one of the hardest things for us to get used to in our whole ADD, you know, universe of the having, you know, a, a shorter attention span than goldfish it makes it really hard sometimes to not get distracted by, oh, that bright and shiny, oh, bright and shiny, oh, bright and shiny, oh, bright and shiny. It's like, holy crap, no, stop, like focus, just pick something that you feel passionate enough about that you can commit some real effort to. And doesn't mean you don't care about other things. It just means that you are trying to be, you know, prudent and rational with your time and your energy and your resources. And that that's where you're going to focus. And you focus on that and you can be supportive to others who are focusing on other things. And you can be vocally, you know, supportive. You can, there's all kinds of ways you can, you can help be advocates for those people. But if you need to focus pick something that's worth focusing on for you. And I think that would probably be my, my number one piece of advice to everybody. You cannot solve all the world's injustices. I wish we could. If I, there would be, if I had a magic wand, there'd be nothing I would do sooner than that, but we can't. And so you got to pick because honestly, these fights have been going on since long before any of us were born. And they're going to be going on long after we're all pushing up 
pushing up daisies. Mm -hmm. So you got to be doing something that you care about enough that when you get kicked in the teeth because the Supreme Court starts, you know, just unraveling everything you were counting on, that you can go cry in your beer, go to bed early, get up the next day, put your boxing gloves back on and get back into the ring. And I think that's the part that too many places and too many companies that try to take this on underestimate, right? They don't think of it as a fight. They don't think of it as an ongoing process. And they think it's, you know, this nice little banner they can put up in the office or whatever it is. It's like, no, this is a slugfest and it will go on. John Lewis was doing it, you know, long before he ever ran for, you know, ran for Congress. And it's, he's gone now and we can't even get, you know, a voting rights bill passed in his name. This is not going away. So you can't, you can't think it's just going to be a turnkey snap of the fingers. There's no app for this shit. you got to keep fighting, which means you have to focus and you have to prioritize because it'll take it out of you. You have to have something that is, is meaningful enough that it's worth getting knocked down for and then worth dragging yourself back up for afterwards. Mm. I think, I think that's a good place to land. I like that, man. Well, well, I hope your clients who are struggling with this have uh, have some opportunities to remagnetize their compass and figure out where they want to go. Definitely, and uh, I appreciate you. You, I know you. I knew you would be willing to tackle this one um, and and lay some gold and platinum nuggets uh, about what to do and how to do. Um, and so it's always absolute pleasure well, to have these. And I think this one's hard, right? I mean, again, like for me, you know, for me, I get more worked up about the political stuff a lot of times than the organizational stuff. And, and I'm, I've, you know, ever since the leak came out about what was expected in the Dobbs, you know, in the Dobbs opinion, I've been kind of bracing myself for the fact that, okay, this isn't going to be the, this is not going to be the last one. They're laying the groundwork here to just start unraveling everything they can since FDR. And a lot of that stuff is going to feel devastating. And I got to brace for impact because this is going to be a long fight and it's not going to be over anytime soon. And I'm not willing to throw in the towel and just say, okay, you won. I'm going to go off and, you know, skulk in my corner. So how do you, how do you focus and how do you recharge your own battery so you can get back up tomorrow and get back in the ring and make sure that you're really clear. Look, this is the stuff that matters to me. This is the stuff that's worth showing up to me. You don't have to agree with all of them. Somebody else doesn't have to agree with all of them. I don't have to agree with all of yours, but for me, this is what's worth it. And this is where I'm going to put my time and my energy. There it is. Always a pleasure. Alrighty. Well, thank you, my friend. I will talk to you soon. All right. Have a, have a wonderful week. Bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.